I'll be reading from John 14, 11 through 14. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Good morning, church family. Uh, thank you so much for, for that, uh, just for allowing us to be part of uh, your family here today while we get to, to spend this time together and the things that we get to do. Now, um, Alan told me he usually preaches for about an hour, um, so uh, I'll try to keep it maybe around like 50, 55 minutes, something like that, so you guys are, you know, feel like it's a real treat. Uh, that is one thing I, I've always enjoyed, um, is when you kind of get that preacher title for a second. I, I mean, I'm wearing a microphone that says preacher on it, and I was kind of like, right, now my head's going to start getting all big here and stuff like this. Um, but it's a blessing to get to do this. One thing I've always shared with people uh, that it's not something to brag about, but it's just something that happens is uh, when I get ready to, to preach, when I get ready to teach, when I get ready to do something like this, I feel like I'm ready, and then I'll be standing off to the side, and I'll kind of look down, and I'm kind of like, oh, it's happening, and, and, and my hands will shake a little. And I, just, I get nervous, you know, to go up there, but it's not because I'm nervous to get up here because if you can tell, I'm okay talking in front of people. That's just one of those things I've gotten to do in my life. But I get nervous about presenting the Word of God um, because sometimes I think, all right, you know, I have some really cool ideas and I want to share stories with you guys and stuff, but I want you to hear God's story when I'm up here. Uh, and I hope that's something we get to do today. Now, I also wanted to make sure you guys knew um, that picture of us I'm not quite that wide um, with how it looks, I, but that's okay. It made me feel relieved that the churches I've worked with in years past, that we're not the only church that happens when we try to get the, the formatting and things going on that that happens. But uh, I want to start out and uh, just want to share a couple of stories with you so that maybe you can get a little glimpse uh, into my life. Uh, when I was at that age of leaving high school and going to college. Uh, I went to ACU. I'm an ACU grad. I bleed purple, all that stuff. Go Wildcats. And uh, I went to ACU. And my parents were kind enough that they were going to uh, travel with me to, to take our, all my stuff that I had gotten, all these things that I had uh, acquired that I was going to have for my dorm room. And as that freshman year goes, and we're, we're going into the dorm, and their parents are helping me carry stuff in. And meeting new guys just as we're going on. I'd never met my roommate before. And, and as we're carrying stuff in, my mom's not carrying anything. She's crying. Now, let me take it back. She's weeping. And, and then uh, other guys start to come, and, and they're helping us. And, hey, my stuff's getting moved in really quick. And they're like, hey, is your mom okay? And I was like, yeah, she'll be fine. And they're like, man, where are you from? And I was like, across town. <laughs> and... It, but that was my mom, you know, that was just who she was. She was like, you know, oh, when am I going to see you again? And I was like, I'll probably be back to the house this afternoon, you know. It was just one of those type of things. But when I was at ACU, uh, I got my degree in youth and family ministry. I uh, talked a little bit about some of that process uh, with the kids in the youth class this morning. And one of those things is whenever I, I got to ACU, I decided I was going to be pre-med. I wanted to be a doctor someday and about... Uh, two days into it, I was like, I don't like blood, I don't like needles, I don't like knives, so this is probably a bad idea. Uh, did some rethinking and, and ended up as a youth and family ministry major, and here I am today. But when I finished school, 
And when Nicole and I got married, I told her something. I said, I am not going to work for a church. And I started to think, what did I just do with four and a half years of my life uh, in trying to do that? But I, I just needed a break. I just needed to step away from it a little bit to kind of reevaluate some of those things. And after a couple of years, Nicole finished up school in Abilene, and we ended up moving to uh, the great metropolis of Pleasanton, Texas. Um, and so that's about 30 miles south of San Antonio. I had some extended family that lived there, and so we saw that as uh, a place that we felt like we could be at home while Nicole did some more schooling in San Antonio. And so we were there, and as we moved in there, we were introduced as, you know, oh, it's the new couple that's just moved to town. And we got there, and we had gotten to a point in our lives that we had just really chosen to be involved with church, no matter where we were. And so we got there, and we said, if we don't find a way to get plugged in now, we'll never do it. And so uh, we went to the education deacon, and we said, is there a class that needs a teacher? And he said, the Wednesday night junior high class doesn't have a teacher. And I thought, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> and, and we volunteered just within that first week. And then we became uh, the family that was introduced as, this is a young couple that just moved here, and they're already teaching a class. So it was kind of that, it was a neat feeling that was there. And, and part of why I wanted to share that story um, is that deacon, that uh, education deacon uh, was my cousin. Uh, his name is Matt Mann, and he passed away yesterday. And I always look at that man like, I never thought about it a lot, but if I hadn't asked him, where can we get plugged in? And he hadn't done that. That's what got me onto the track of going back into ministry because we weren't there at that church as ministers. We were just there as members, and we found a way to get plugged in, and then eventually... Uh, that church in Pleasanton offered me a job. They offered me a position there. And so I look at that, and, and it's just, he's a small part of that story, but it's like, you know, man, maybe if, if it hadn't been my cousin that was in that role, maybe we wouldn't have asked what classes are open, what classes are available. In John chapter 14, as we got to hear before, there's this moment where, Jesus is getting to spend a lot of time with his disciples because he's, his story is about to take a big turn. Things are about to change for him. In John chapter 14, we'll go back a little bit from where uh, we read earlier, starting verse 9. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, and that's always a, start to listen, very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. But hear this part. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And I always remember hearing those verses and thinking, wait, how are we supposed to one-up Jesus? How are we supposed to do greater things than that? And, and there's... Uh, there's so many different theories on kind of what this is. And I, I believe it's not that we're saying, hey, we've got 
Jesus' power, but it's the fact that we have Jesus and we have his spirit that he's promising to his disciples in this moment. Uh, I want to share a few words of these just so that we hear uh, what exactly is going on when Jesus says this. Jesus says that those who believe in him will do even greater things. The greater things compared to what Jesus did in his humble human body that Jesus' disciples will go on to do, quantitatively speaking. So the quantity, not necessarily the quality. They will have a worldwide ministry. Jesus never preached outside of one region. They will see even greater numbers of people being healed. They will see many more come to faith. And that's kind of one of the things that you, you don't think about. Jesus really never got to see that many people come to believe in who he was. They will reach more people outside of the Jewish com uh, community. Many Gentiles will come to know Jesus through the disciples' preaching, not the preaching of Jesus. And they will write down the word of God guided by the Holy Spirit. And I always thought that was, that was fascinating, this idea that Jesus is saying, you actually get to do something even greater than I did because the world will be waiting for you and waiting for what you have to offer through me. I'm one of these people where I love to look at a definition of something and what that is. And I feel like when we hear these things, we realize it's the story of God. It's the story of Jesus. And here's what the definition of a story is. It's an account of incidents and events. Plain and simple. An account of incidents and events. And I kind of look at this as, all right, that definition shows us Jesus in action. But there's another part of that definition. It's a statement regarding the facts pertinent to a situation in question. And I thought, this is interesting because now we get into that word facts. So we're starting to look at, all right, it's got to be a little more concrete. Because when we hear story, we kind of automatically go to imagination land. Somebody says, tell me a story. How does it start? Once upon a time. Somebody could go to Jesus and say, Jesus, tell me a story. And I don't recall, at least, him ever saying, once upon a time... But he does in a way. He tells these parables, these stories that I always kind of think, you know what? I bet those people in those parables, he knew that person. You know, he, he changed the, the names just to protect them in this moment type of thing and maybe changed their job up a little or their description. But I feel like he was trying to tell these stories from his life, from things that he got to do, people that he interacted with. And so we look at that definition again an account of incidents and events. And for our story, and oh, I don't know what happened to our to be continued that we had, um, this idea of to be continued, there we go. And I love that, you know, because I just asked him, hey, can you guys throw it on a, a slide for me that, that it's the old, you guys over here, you that's a TV there. So <laughs> I just want to make sure you guys knew that. Um, that's what they used to, you used to have to walk up and turn those little knobs and stuff like that. We'll tell you stories about that at some point. But how many of you can remember watching TV shows that ended with To Be Continued? You guys remember that? Netflix has destroyed that. You know why? Because now you're racing to pause it before it says next episode starting and that little thing's going, and I'm like, oh, i got to go to the bathroom. You know, it's, you're trying to pause it real quick. And, and it's kind of who we are now that we've destroyed the idea of To Be Continued. i got to know what's going to happen. Right? You know that new series comes out or the next season comes out? What do we do? Okay, oh man, I even heard like older voices say binge watch. Come on, guys. You know, this is supposed to be the, 
Uh, so we binge watch things because we have to know how it's going to end. And for a lot of us, growing up, it was to be continued. And I was like, oh, I can't wait a week to do this. And it was that, that hanging moment of to be continued. But the story of Jesus is to be continued. You know, it, it doesn't just say, oh, here was the whole season, we binge-watched it, and that's it, we're done, we read the whole Bible. No, the Bible ends with to be continued, and that story gets to go on, that story gets to continue. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it won't make the, the direct reference to a story, but it will reference things that have to do with the story of God. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today, and I'll, I'm going to dare to change that just a little bit. This story that God gives us today is to be on your hearts. Impress it on your children. Talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. That story is meant to be continued. It doesn't just stop with one generation. You can look at the Old Testament. Sometimes people are like, what's the point of the Old Testament? I would say you could just say one huge piece of that is to go back and see that the Old Testament says, you better be careful. You better be careful because they kept feeling like the story was over. It was going to end with them, but it's to be continued. If you go on just a little bit past that, uh, down to Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of goods that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God says, it's to be continued. Don't let it end right there. Don't stop my story when it's not over yet. Something that recently uh, I got to, to hear uh, and, and experience, Nicole and I got to uh, go on a minister's retreat recently, and uh, there were 12 couples that were on this uh, retreat together, and we got to hear some incredible stories. And I'm not going to share the stories of other people because a lot of those are very personal and things that uh, people were growing from and recovering from and hurting from. But we did get to hear a lesson uh, that uh, some of you may know who Rick Atchley is. Rick Atchley and his wife uh, were there and, and, and he talked about this uh, from Luke chapter 6. And, and he told us a story that I was like, well, I've heard the story before, but, but he told it in a way that I had never thought about it. From Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 6, on another Sabbath, he went to the synagogue and was teaching. 
and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, talking to the Pharisees, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Jesus, he wanted them, he wanted us to see the person first. Not to see the ailment, not to see the struggle, not to see the problem, but to see the person. Because I always read this and I hear, well, it's the man with the, sh the shriveled hand, this withered hand. That's, that's who he is. That's how everybody knows him. But Jesus tells him, stand up. Stand up in front of everybody. He wanted them. He wanted us to see the person first. Having made sure that, that they, that we have seen the person. And then he asks this question. He gives this command. Stretch out your hand. The man did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And right now you may be thinking, I don't get it, Wes. It says he has to reach out his hand, so where was it? My guess is that it was hidden because he didn't want people to see that. Many times we'll see that it says the Pharisees will set Jesus up, that they bring somebody in intentionally. But here it says they're just looking. They didn't hire this man to come in. They probably know the man. And he's hiding his hand. Very likely in his cloak that he would have been wearing. And, and he's hiding that hand because he's fearful of what people might think. In fact, maybe he's a Pharisee. Maybe he's one of them. But he's keeping this hidden because it's, it's his struggle. It's his to bear. It's no one else's. And Jesus says, stand up in front of everybody. And they see him. And they just see a man. But then what does Jesus tell him to do? To hold out that hand. And that man, he had to make a choice right here. He's like, if I hold my hand out there, they'll know. Now let's forget the fact that maybe it's a withered hand, maybe it's a sin or a wrongdoing or a struggle. And Jesus only says, stand up for everyone to see. And do we just see the person or do we see the struggle? And when he tells them, hold out your hand, that was his moment where he was thinking, some of these people have no clue because what was the fear of that? People that had any type of handicap were often seen as somebody who had sinned, who has done something wrong. They were going to be condemned, and he may have been thinking, they don't know. They don't know yet. But Jesus says, hold out that hand, and he has to have the courage enough to hold that hand out. But when he holds it out, it's well. Now you think here... That story, that man, when he walked away from there, 
when that story was to be continued, can you imagine the things he would say? Because he may have been trying to tell people, hey, when I came in here, I had a shriveled hand. And they're like, no, you didn't. We never saw that. And he may have been trying to convince people, yes, I was, I was hurt. I couldn't use my hand. But instead, Jesus told me to hold my hand out, and now it's well. And we see that there was this beautiful moment between Jesus and that man. Not with Jesus and the Pharisees. Because then they get to go on to say, all right, well, the Pharisees are upset because he's doing things on the Sabbath day. And the thing is, when Jesus actually speaks to say, you're healed, maybe they start thinking, what's wrong with him? I didn't even know anything was wrong. And how often do we come across those situations in life where we're like, I had no idea something was wrong in their life. I had no idea they were struggling with that, but we'd already made our judgment. I don't know why they can't do this better. I don't know why they can't be more active with it. I don't know, but we don't understand maybe what's happening in their home, with their family, with their work. Jesus allows his story to continue through this man. Think of all the stories. Think of all the miracles, all the people that Jesus comes across, that he's allowing them to become part of his story to be continued. I think one of the greatest ones uh, comes in the book of Acts. When we get to see this guy named Saul, who is standing as a man is executed for standing up to the Sanhedrin, standing up to the teachers of the law, standing up to the religious leaders that Stephen said, you know what, let me tell you the history of the Jewish people. But then he says, but you know what, you're destroying that because you're not honoring God. And they say, he's got to die. And, and this man, Saul, gets to stand off to the side and watch and give his approval as somebody is killed, as they're murdered, executed right in front of him. Because he sees that that's what the just punishment is. And here in that moment, he, he's watching this. And then, I don't know if you've ever realized what it says happens after this goes on with Stephen. I'm not saying it was just Stephen, because I think Jesus had a lot to do with it, but... After Stephen made that stand, it says the church was persecuted. That they went to town, they said, we're not going to stand for this new group of radical Jesus followers to start gathering together and doing things. And it may not have just been because of Stephen, but we see that it started there. One man continued the story of Jesus. And then we, we get to see right after that, this moment when Saul gets to have his to be continued with Jesus. Uh, in uh, Acts chapter 9, as Saul's traveling down the road, Jesus decides, we need to talk. And he says, Saul, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this to me? And nobody else hears this conversation that's traveling with Saul. But Saul gets this heart-to-heart -heart with Jesus. And, and yes, this is where we get to focus on a lot that, you know, he's blinded and he's told, all right, you've got to go now to, uh, you've got to travel to Damascus. And, and as you get there, that's where we see a huge part of this to be continued with Saul. Because as he's getting that point where he's going to get to become Paul, we have this moment that he's traveling blind, and he's got to go and meet somebody. So in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10, 
Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied, because when God calls, we answer. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. And listen to what Ananias says. Uh, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So Ananias says, do you realize who you're talking about, God? But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as to, to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went, he found Saul, he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward he ate some food and he regained his strength. Ananias could have said, no, I can't do that. But he hears God saying, that's the one I've chosen. The same way that that, that man with the withered hand is standing there and, and nobody really probably understands why Jesus picked him. But we see that it's someone that God has chosen to continue his story. When you go through all the different miracles that Jesus performs, uh, you can start thinking, of, I try to think of some of my favorites, uh, you know, the paralyzed man being lowered through the roof. That We usually think of that story, oh, his friends are bringing him to be healed. And it says, yes, Jesus was doing healing, but how does that story go? What does Jesus do as soon as a paralyzed man's in front of him? He obviously says, oh, this man needs to be healed. What does he say? Your sins are forgiven. And we always just assume that his friends are probably going, no, tell him to walk. You know, that's... We don't want to have to carry him back, but we make that assumption. Maybe those four friends who knew what Jesus could do didn't necessarily know that he could heal, but they knew that he could forgive sins. That maybe that wasn't their priority was for their friend to walk because, to be honest, if they're willing to carry him, they're willing to cut out a hole in the top of someone's house and to lower him down, I bet they're willing to carry him home. But maybe they're like, he needs to hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus looked at him as he was lowered down, probably thinking, this isn't my house, this is going to be a problem. And this man's there in front of him, and he doesn't see a withered hand. He doesn't see someone who's blind. He doesn't see someone who can't walk. He sees a sinner that needs forgiveness. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And it's kind of like, what's the big deal? That, that's what he saw. Now, I'm sure that guy was more than ecstatic that it comes out that he says, all right, well, get up, take your mat, and get out of here. And think about that. As he's walking away through that crowd, it says not everybody could even get in the house. They can't see what's going on. And the last thing they saw was four crazy guys hauling a man up onto the roof. And then now all of a sudden that guy's carrying his mat and he's walking through the crowd. 
He may not even have to say anything to continue the story of Jesus. One of my favorites that you actually get to see the progression of the story of Jesus in his life is Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, as a Pharisee, he's, he's scared to go and talk to Jesus in the day, so he goes at night so he can have this conversation of, what am I supposed to be doing? He knows there's something different than what that group of friends and, and his fellow workers are supposed to be doing. And he's like, Jesus, what am I supposed to be doing? And Jesus tells him. In fact, Jesus actually kind of says, you should already know the answer. And so that was in John 3, and then just uh, a few chapters later, we get into John 7, and we see there's this moment where uh, the religious leaders are arguing about what they need to do to Jesus, and Nicodemus all of a sudden gets a little bit of courage, and he says, well, he has the right to defend himself before we start casting down all of this judgment on him. And they look at Nicodemus like, what did you just say? Do you know who we're talking about? And then we see a long period of time go by, and we get to John chapter 19, where it says, two men, Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus, take the body of Jesus from a cross and prepare it for burial. And if, if you read that part, it actually says that Joseph, that he was fearful of what people might find out that he was helping. But for Nicodemus, you have to think about that now. The Pharisees were watching still. But Nicodemus said, I don't care. In fact, Nicodemus is the one who probably put a lot of money into the effort of Jesus being buried and providing all the things that they needed. And, and here's this moment where he said, I talked to Jesus. I heard from him what needs to be done. And I'm going to continue what he started. And he carries that on. Because it's to be continued. When you look at that definition of a story, there's some other definitions that, that go along with it as well. It can be an account of incidents and events. It can be a statement regarding the facts pertinent to a situation. But it can also be a fictional narrative. It can be a widely circulated rumor. Don't let the story of God don't let the story of Jesus just be a rumor. Let it continue. Let it live. Become part of that story. I want to share uh, some words here with you from the, the great theologian Big Daddy Weave. Um, if you guys happen to listen to some, some Christian music, uh, there's a song that's called my story, and I want to share uh, those lyrics with you. If I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin. If I told you my story, you would hear victory over the enemy. And if I told you my story, you would hear freedom that was won for me. And if I told you my story, you would hear life overcome the grave. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin. Of when justice was served and where mercy wins. Of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in, oh, to tell you my story. 
is to tell of him. Then you'll be familiar with these parts that they, they've borrowed. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. Is your story the continuation of the story of God? Is your story the continuation of the story of Jesus? I want to leave you with one more personal story before we get to, to sing about uh, that story that is ours now. Uh, at the church that I'm at right now in Stephenville, Texas, the Graham Street Church of Christ, uh, about a year ago, um, in November, uh, we had our deacon who's in charge of all the technology stuff. Uh, so all of our tech guys, we know that you're amazing uh, in the things that you have to do, the tasks that you're kind of given, and the, uh, especially during the time of COVID. Uh, that was this huge thing. And, and we had uh, one of our deacons. His name was Bruce. And he uh, was amazing at all this stuff. And he actually uh, taught courses at the junior college there about uh, computers and all this stuff that's way beyond all of my knowledge. And uh, he sometimes would be a little bit late uh, coming into services on Sunday morning. He lived about 25 miles away from the church. So a lot of times if he wasn't there yet and we didn't have things up and running, he texts me, hey, Wes, can you get things up and going? I'll be there in five minutes. I said, oh, sure. And so there was a Sunday morning last November, and we were getting close to time, hadn't heard anything from Bruce. We're at time to start, hadn't heard from Bruce, and I was like, I'll just, I'll get it going, and whenever he gets here, he can jump in. So I get it going, I end up getting to do uh, the whole service that morning with everything going on, and I was thinking, all right, uh, where's Bruce? <laughs> we're, we have some things to talk about now. And then we found out later that day that Bruce is in the hospital. And we just hadn't gotten word yet that, that he was sick. And as Bruce was sick, uh, they couldn't figure out what was going on. They couldn't give his family answers as to what was happening with him, what was happening with his body. And a few weeks went by of them kind of just throwing anything they could to say, well, we think it might be this, it might be this. And they finally found out he had a brain tumor. And that by, I think it was February, he had passed away just a few short months. And when we were getting ready to do uh, the funeral service, the memorial service for Bruce, uh, we have our online programming stuff, our software that we use, and, and we were trying to get something to work for Bruce's memorial service. Um, but we, just, we couldn't get it figured out, and it's like, who do we ask? Because it was Bruce, that was the guy that we were supposed to go to on this, so uh, I was like, you know what, we can try calling and emailing the company to see, but it's like, it takes them sometimes weeks to get back to you, you guys understand stuff like that. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try the little online chat real quick, just to see what would happen. So I jump on there, and real quick, somebody responds. And I was like, all right, we're, we're trying to do this, we can't get this to work, uh, can you go in through our system and look and see what it is? And so sure enough, they get in, they start going, and they're like, all right, you know, they're messaging me back, which, which one is it? And it's like, it's the one that's pulled up. And it says, Bruce's memorial service. And they said, what happened to Bruce? And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, all right, I'm, I'm thinking I'm just talking to some tech person sitting there. And they're like, what happened to Bruce? And we're like, well, you know, Bruce got sick back in the fall, and, you know, and he recently passed away, and we're trying to get some things done and fixed for his memorial service. And the, the technician, he texts and he says, can I call you on your cell phone?
from my personal phone, not and not as a work call. And and me and our preacher, we were saying we were like, sure. And so sure enough, I give him my number, and, and not 20 seconds go by, and he calls. And he gets on the phone with us, and he starts telling us all this stuff that there's no way we could have figured that out online. And in fact, some of the things he said, you know what, uh, our company advertises that we can do certain things. He's like, but we can't. And he's like, I can't tell you those things. He's like, but I'm letting you know because I interacted with Bruce a lot, and he was a good man. And all of a sudden, we were getting to talk to somebody that we had no clue who he was, but Bruce had made an impact on his life just by being who Bruce was. Because he allowed the story of Jesus to be continued. And for us, we have that exact same opportunity in who we are and in what we do to tell that story. Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. And maybe today, in your story, it's a time where you say, I need a little help. Because I need to tell his story better than what I have been. You guys have an awesome church family that's here. Uh, you've got leaders and friends and family that are here to love and to support you. And this morning, as we get ready to sing this next song, Blessed Assurance, that blessed assurance is part of our story. And that's what allows us the chance to say, if I need to make things right with God so that I can continue his story, that's what we get to do together as a church. And that's what we get to do now. Let's stand and sing. Blessed assurance.